welcome to The Modern Urologist. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Cohen, and on today's episode, I'd like to welcome back Allie and Shelby, where we'd like to continue our discussion with the work done by Zero in efforts for patient advocacy. Thank you, ladies, and welcome back. One of the things you, you talked about was education and have, you know, you guys having to know a lot about the treatments, although you know, you're not clinicians, which is fine, um, because most clinicians can keep up with what's happened anyway. So what kind of educational pro besides the support things, you know, educational about treatment, about, you know, side effect of all these things, you, you, you've mentioned it, but the, you know, specific things that you guys can offer because it's really hard for some guys when they go into a doctor's office, if they don't have the time or aren't given the time to look for sources that are reliable, honest, and aren't looking, you know, that aren't trying to solicit patients, let's say, yeah. but, but are really trying to, you know, do what you guys do is your goal is to help the patients, period, end of discussion. Um, it, it, you, that's really there. You're there to make sure that they survive this and their families do well and all that. And it's incredibly admirable. Yeah. Tell me about the education side of yeah. it. I can jump in, Allie, and then I'll segue into our summit if you would like to do that together. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. We want to make sure that that patients can hear and caregivers, um, too, the, the unbiased information and facts so that they can make the best decisions possible for, for their situation. So we do that in a variety of ways. Of course, our website is um, really, really important for the written word and, and, and one pagers and um, literature that people can print and also request hard copies of. Um, we have an, an almost, we have a new, newly diagnosed um, patient guide, and that's going to be a really important tool. We will provide that both written and, like I said, electronically. We'll provide hard copies for people who want to request a copy. Um, lots of webinars throughout the year. I think one of the most important series that we started was, um, or is, a, uh, a, a a webinar or some type of educational event that that we're planning on hosting after each of the major research or, or scientific meetings. So we held a really, um, a really wonderful webinar after ASCO GU um, in April. And um, we just asked the, the, the speaker to just shine a light on what, what's the high level overview that came out of the science meeting? What, what trials failed? Which one succeeded? Where are we? What's coming down the pike? And so kind of that, that broad um, brushstroke for each of those major meetings, ASCO, happened over the weekend. So we're hoping to do something similar after um, AUA and, and ASCO that just happened. So um, we're going to hold one in November after ASTRO, which is the radiology meeting. So we're really looking forward to that. I wanted to get to our summit because Allie and I lead Zero's annual prostate cancer summit. And I lead the education and now support group portion of, of our annual summit. And Allie leads um, the advocacy piece. But um, COVID actually shut everything down. What was it two days after the 2020 summit for us? So, so zero was able to hold the 2020 summit in March. And I think two days later was the big, big shutdown, especially in the DC area. And um, then, and then in 2021, we were, we were uh, fully virtual and then, and again, in 2022, fully virtual, but with the summit um, and the education piece, we really try to kind of bucket those topics. So we talk from kind of bench to bedside almost. So the treatment, the diagnostics, the survivorship, the support, 
the health equity piece. And we, we really kind of try to categorize each of the great topics that we want to talk about and that we want expert speakers to talk about um, managing side effects. I'll kind of lump into the living with or survivorship piece. But um, and, and we bring experts in on all of these topics to talk about the latest and greatest in, in each of their respective areas. And I think, Ali, you might know better than I, um, we had, had about 20 hours of educational content recorded and live um, at, at this past summit. And then, of course, we, we make those available on our website for people to watch afterwards. We don't charge um, uh, a fee for the electronic or the virtual option, but really want to make sure that all people have access to to the information they need to make the best decisions for for their treatment and their and their health. If you're newly diagnosed, right? Or you're learning about prostate cancer, you need all this education, right? You need to get caught up on what you need to know in order in order to make the best decisions for yourself, for your family, for your life. Um, but you know, fortunately, knock on wood, a lot of our community then survives, right? They they get to keep living with this and keep living with um, possibly the, the anticipation of more. But uh, also, we want to make sure we give them opportunities to empower themselves, right? To take that crappy experience, right? It's like people say prostate cancer is the good cancer. It's an oxymoron, right? There is no good cancer. Right. Um, so we've had this, you know, lousy experience that nobody wishes for themselves. I'd like to think that one of the things we do here is create an opportunity to take that and turn it into something positive, right? Give people a chance to support their community, whether it's by getting involved with support groups or um, the mentor program or something like that, or uh, my personal favorite, getting involved in advocacy, <clears throat> right? They come to the summit, they get their education piece, and then we take them to the Hill. Um, it used to be we did that in person once upon a time. Um, I've never actually been to an in-person summit myself either. I <laughs> Coming up next year. It's like confessions of Allie and Shelby. If you <laughs> things we haven't done. We got to get you guys out of your house. I mean, this yeah, is... Apparently. Please, actually, please. I know. We are going to next year. We're going to be back in person. But in the last couple of years, you know, we've done this virtually. And you know what we've learned? It works. It has mm -hmm. results, right? And, and it is small D democratic, right? We were able to allow people to participate. In fact, um, two years ago, we had a beloved member of our community who wouldn't have been able to travel. He actually did his Hill meetings from his infusion chair, um, which aside from kind of from a cynical DC policy person perspective is like a great way to walk into a meeting. Um, it was an opportunity for him and it was meaningful to get to do that and to get to share his story, despite the fact that he was stuck at home. Right. And so I love these virtual meetings. We are absolutely coming back in person next year. We're going to go to the Hill in person again, but we're also going to, one of the things we've learned here is that we can keep bringing people to Congress in ways that are really easy for them, right? They can use their voices, share their stories from home year round. And so we're doing more mini Hill days that are virtual only and um, offering more and more opportunities to people to, and really for us, it's taking what we learned from the pandemic, right? Which is, we're never getting rid of the virtual part of our education summit, right? We're going to do more in person, but we're always going to have this virtual component and we're going to use it for advocacy too, because it just lets us serve so many more people and elect so many more people participate and be a part of an activity that I would like to think really does um, empower them to turn their story into something good. So, so something good came of COVID. It, it, you know, I, I look at it as nobody really thought about doing virtual meetings like that in the past they thought maybe it wasn't going to be good enough or 
you know, when they opened it up as a part of a web series or something like that, it wasn't ever well attended until recently. Mm-hmm. So COVID did help open people's eyes and help, you know, get us to that point where you're right. You can reach a lot more people that otherwise would be like, well, I can't go to DC. I can't make it there. It's either too expensive or it's too, too much work. Um, or I can't take time off of work, but so that this way it does allow them. And then knowing that it's a positive experience and not just, you know, well, I couldn't be there, so I'm not going to get involved. Especially, Um, I mean, in 2019, we had 300 people attend our summit. In 2022, virtually, we had over 1,700 in the end, I think it was. I mean, And how many Zoom meetings, Allie? Uh, 164. I mean, I know you made me participate against my will, and I learned a lot, and I did it anyway, and I I was semi-comfortable, and... (laughs) And I'm going to make you do it again. That's huge. Yeah. Right. That's so many more people who get to learn and connect with one another and get hopefully tools that they need for their prostate cancer journey. That's we're never going backwards on that. Now, I'm going to ask you a quick this question. When you do go to the Hill and you meet with members of Congress or their staff or, or and, and I've done this for for other things for advocacy. Um, what are your goals? What do you, what are your main, you know, what are your main targets? What are your main goals? What are you trying to achieve? It's not just awareness. A lot of these guys are, you know, the majority are men uh, and older men. Um, so they're kind of aware that it exists, but what are you trying to get? Sure. So I can give you a very quick version of these bullet points. Um, we went yeah, I want, I want to hear this because I'm, I'm really interested because I Absolutely. Um, so again, I, we are using policy to end prostate cancer, right? And so the first way we're doing that is investing in research. We want Congress to give $120 million in the next fiscal year to the prostate cancer research program at DOD. We also can't love- they wait, before, before you go on, can't they just do an executive order and say there's no more prostate cancer? Oh, wouldn't that be great? That'd be okay. so fun. Um, yeah. No. No. Okay. Well, no, I'm, naive. It, I'm naive. Okay. I know. It turns out there's like all these pieces, right? There's just so much here. And and Congress holds the purse, her purse strings, especially for those DOD programs because they are congressionally directed specifically. And I'll say we love the National Cancer Institute, right? There's great work going down, going on there. A lot of people love the National Cancer Institute. They don't need us as much, uh, right? So at the end of the day, we are putting our energy where we have the biggest impact. And that is a program that is unique. It also, um, you know, a typical research program Grants are reviewed, or proposals are going to be reviewed by physicians and scientists. Um, in the prostate cancer research program, they're reviewed by physicians and scientists, but they're also reviewed by consumers, or what they call consumers. I, I hate that word, their patients or their people. But anyway, um, they're reviewed by consumer reviewers as well, which means that you've got an opportunity for a patient to stand up and say, uh, everybody thinks this research project is great, but it involves six biopsies over the course of this amount of time. Has anyone here besides me had a prostate biopsy? And when nobody else raises their hand, that's an opportunity to educate those researchers and say, here's where I think that project doesn't quite work and we're not going to find the participation we need and it's not going to serve. And, and I've heard the stories from some of the reviewers who've done that, right? Who've brought their personal experience to say, I think this doesn't, doesn't work because of this, or I think we're not looking closely enough at this one over here. If that works, It'd be tremendous for my life, and here's why. Um, so I go back to I love that program. Um, I love talking about it, and it is 
our single biggest priority. Now, we're also big believers in public in education and awareness. And in the federal government, nobody does that better than the CDC. Um, they have a relatively small investment in prostate cancer activities that's primarily outreach and education for black men. Now, there's a little more to it, but that's kind of the long and short and figuring out ways to reach that community better, make sure that they have the information they need so that they can make the right choices at the right times. Uh, we also were really excited to have a new bill introduced just two weeks ago for Cancer Research Month and the Prostate Cancer the Prostate Cancer Community Access Research and Education Act, the PC Care Act, because everything's got to have a nifty acronym, and sometimes you've got to comport yourself a little bit to fit in that nifty acronym. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a bill that actually, it's just good government. Um, it actually just creates a federal coordinating committee whose job is to make sure that the CDC and the NIH and the DOD and, um, for that matter, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and and the Health Resources and Services Administration, which runs the Health Center Program, for example, that all of these federal agencies that do either kind of some amount of research or some amount of turning translating research into policy or insurance coverage, um, coordinate with one another to make sure that they are not unnecessarily duplicating work and that they are um, identifying priority areas, right? Knowledge gaps, what don't we know? How can we spend our dollars as efficiently and effectively as possible to move towards a cure, right? And in the meantime, to move towards treatments that serve people that improve their lives. Um, and so that's one that it's fun. It ought to be easy, knock on wood, right? It ought to be something we can pass simply, um, which are kind of famous last words in DC these days. But, um, and I'll just mention the last one, we do prioritize something called the PSA for Him Act. Um, it's a bill that would eliminate out-of-pocket costs for prostate cancer screening. So I alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, it is specifically for Black men and men with a family history of prostate cancer. And it gets at, you know, it's true that if a woman needs a mammogram, there is no out-of-pocket cost, right? There's no dollar associated with it at point of service. And this would do the same thing for PSA testing, um, specifically for those men at highest risk. So those are four that are really important to us right now. And we have analogs to the um, PSA for Him Act in the states. Um, we're actually hoping maybe by the time this podcast comes out, the governor in Illinois will have signed the bill there that does the same thing for that state. Um, it'll be very exciting. We get some fireworks and some light up something blue. Um, but you know, those are that's what we send our advocates to the Hill for, right? They can tell their stories. They can talk about how this would have made a difference for me, right? We've got great advocates who are able to walk in and say, I'm alive today because I've taken three of the drugs that have come out of the prostate cancer research program. Um, if I had, you know, if PSA testing had been free, I it probably would have influenced how I thought about it, right? Because when something's free, what we're really telling you is it's important enough, we wanna make it free, right? It's not just that dollar associated, It's how it impacts the way a patient thinks about it, how it impacts the way the doctor thinks about it, um, especially those primary care docs who are doing a lot of that initial PSA testing before people, you know, have even thought to see a specialist. You know, these advocates, their stories fit, right? They can really explain why these things are so important and what a difference they would make in the lives of people living with prostate cancer. Absolutely. All right, so recap here. You guys do research support you do advocacy, whether it's in Congress, locally, 
statewide in all areas. Education, support group. Is there anything missing? Or where's the where's the direction? Where's the, you know, you, I'm sure you sit there and go, what else can we do? Well, you know, we talked about the history of of zero and and way back in the day, we used to own a a bus, I'll call it. I think it was not a van. I think it was actually a bus and and it traveled around and I think from from my understanding broke down somewhat uh, regularly and um and and so we did provide screening opportunities and and while zero has moved away from that, I think um, the partnerships that we're building with with community members and and community practices and urologists and partners, um that's where I think we can continue to um, fill that gap and meet that unmet patient or or maybe future patient need and and catching more and more prostate cancers earlier with those screening opportunities. And while our 5k run walk series is, is, you know, it might be that thing someday. Um, again, it might be the replacement for the bus, <laughs> um, uh, that, that traveled around the, the United States. Um, I think those are, are some opportunities where, um, we can bring those screening opportunities to, uh, to the people right there in their community and, and get them if they don't have a, a doctor already show them, you know, some who might be there and, and might be able to do that. I think that was, um, that, that's been desired. I know, I don't know that zero is going to be able to pull it off, um, for a variety of, you know, silly insurance and liability issues, but, um, something that we're thinking about how we can, how we can make things better as far as getting, um, early detection and screening, uh, into, into more, um, the hands of more people. Yeah, that, that would be great. The other thing was the blue shoes. You got to go for the blue shoes during Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. And the NFL, I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, we talked to the NFL players in the past and, you know, it's a you know very predominantly African-American sport that the players and they is a chance for them to help reach out too. That would be neat because they wear the pink shoes. Well, and you know what? Can we, to me, that's like a part of, let's take what we're doing and let's do more of it, right? Let's do bigger of it, right? We have these, we do, we have these amazing patient support programs. Um, we work our butts off on policy, serving what, what let's call it a relatively small community. And it's mostly because patients don't know about us and they don't know, or their doctors don't know about us to, to give them a suggestion. And so I, I think a really big thing for us in the next couple of years is taking what we're doing and scaling it up. Right, doing more of it and hopefully doing better of it because you can always improve. Make sure that prostate cancer is something everybody knows as much about as they know about breast cancer. Right? Let's make sure that every patient who's diagnosed knows, oh shoot, what do I do? I go to zero. Todd, I can jump in for a sec. I think the more we talk about prostate cancer and encourage men to talk about it with their families, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've even, I've said, I work for zero, the end of prostate cancer. And I hear four people say, oh, so-and-so had prostate cancer. Or my so-and-so had prostate cancer. And we aren't in a place yet, but I hope we get there soon where the people impacted the most share their stories and talk about it. And I think that talking about it leads to those big things like the NBA wearing blue shoes instead of pink one year, or, you know, maybe both because we're September and breast cancer is October. So there's room for both of us for sure. Um, and, and, and zero's proud to work with other breast 
breast cancer organizations to, to really showcase that family history and that connection um, to, to both diseases. But I think that's where it starts is the, that ability to tell your story, tell your story on the Hill, tell it in a, in a podcast like this, tell it in a blog and get more people to share their experiences so they don't feel so isolated and they don't have to find out. I'll never forget this, this woman, she was older, probably um, 85 year old uh, African-American woman who shared with me that after her fourth uncle died, they finally found out that all of them had passed away from prostate cancer. And she and her cousins made a pact that they would never let that kind of thing happen to the next generation that they would start talking about their family history and their medical history and their, um, with, with all of their family, their extended family too. But, um, you think about, you know, she just grew up in that, in that family and that lifestyle and that culture of so-and-so has this diagnosis and, and now he is gone and we aren't going to talk about what happened and we aren't going to talk about what it was. Um, so I think just that, sh that story sharing that, that storytelling piece is so, so impactful. Yeah. The stories, personal stories and like that are so powerful. And yeah. well, I, I want to thank both of you so much. This was great. Um, I think I want to ask before we close, because we've been going for a while and I don't want to take too much of your time. And Shelby, as you're new to podcasts, did a, you know, wonderful, both of you. <laughs> Terrific. Um, what can we do to help zero? Well, I can start by saying, if you want to be an advocate, get out your cell phone right now, pick it up and text zero, Z-E-R-O to 52886. And that'll get you on a lovely listserv that gets you lots of emails from me telling you different times and different ways that you can get involved in advocacy. Right. So okay, we will say, say that again and say it zero. slow and loud. You got it. We're sent, we want you to text zero, Z-E-R-O, spell it out, to 52886. And that'll, that'll take you directly to a sign-up link, and you'll get lots of emails from me. Hopefully not too many, but just the right number. Um, and yes, we love, we love your dollars. Um, but also, we want you to talk about prostate cancer. We want you to talk about zero. We want you to tell your patients, okay, you've been diagnosed, but here's where you're going to get help, right? I'm going to provide you care, but you're going to need information. You're going to need support and you're going to go to zero at zerocancer.org. And that's what you're going to do. But Shelby. So I think that's exactly right. I think after you text that five digit number <laughs> after that, and then you go to zerocancer.org, like Ali said, there are so many ways to get involved and, and it's going to be very easy to find one that fits you. Maybe you want to, have a team at your local run walk and raise money that way. Maybe you want to grab 50 of our um, prostate cancer fact sheets and take them to a health fair. Um, there are so lot, lots of ways to, to get involved and really just finding the one that, that fits you, I think is, is going to be really impactful, but talking about it, um, we, we can't say that enough. Thank you. That's, you know, we need to hear that. We need to find out what's the, what, how we can get more involved. So I want to thank you both so much for taking your time, uh, explaining about zero and all that you do, which is phenomenal. And, and you guys do such a terrific job. And just in the, in the 
20 something, 25 years that you guys have been around, it's been a big impact on a lot of men. I want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you're going to do. Can't say it enough, you know, the help that you guys have done to so many men and their families.